Yes. We thank God for you being here and um, having uh, worship and fellowship together as we share the word of the Lord together as well. Um, just, just by way of announcing or acknowledging or whatever, um, there is something called CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, and they are going to do, they do Bible clubs uh, during the summer as well as during the school year. And during the school year, they do this at churches. Um, in Flower Bluff, this is not allowed for whatever reasons. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not saying this is wrong or whatever. It's just not allowed because they've had some history with some different groups and so on and so forth. So I can't blame the administration that they don't allow anything. So, so then you cannot have Bible clubs. Um, well, CEF has been in contact with Glen Oak Apartments, new apartments there on Glen Oak, uh, that will allow Bible clubs. So CEF is going to do a Bible club in Glen Oaks, and they're going to do a Bible club at, an, at another a child care situation here uh, of the week of the 9th through the 13th of July. Um, the Bible club at the Glen Oaks is going to be also open to people who are not residents of Glen Oak. So it's going to be totally open. And um, I had a meeting with a, with a manager of Glen Oaks and the leader of CEF this week at our Jalisco, you know. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and she, she mentioned to me that she had needed to reach out to me and wanted to, but just things were busy. And so she's wide open to us doing things there that would um, be for the benefit of their population and their residents uh, in whatever way. Obviously, it has to pass through her first. But she's wide open to then us being part of the Bible club over there, uh, uh, being open to the, the general public as well, and then she's quite open to advertise whatever we have going on, things like karate and so on. And VBS coming up, she'll help us promote it through sending flyers through the apartments as well. So, I mean, so wide open door that I'm so excited about. Um, so now, CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, they have their training. It's quite an extensive training. The training for the Bible clubs that is going to happen on July the 13th through the, uh, the July the 9th through the 13th, they have the training the 4th through the 8th, and it's from 1 to 5-ish, 4.35-ish, those five days. Uh, I've mentioned it to Hannah. She is sort of open, hasn't said yes yet, I understand, is sort of open to go to the training, and I'm wondering if there's anybody else that is free to go to the training. It's from 1 to 5, Monday through Friday, if you're interested in working with kids, and therefore you will be a person that has contact with those kids then makes it easier for them to reach. We're not looking for getting a feather in the cap or of, of any sort, but we are looking to reach out to people. And if the opportunity arises, we need to take advantage of it for the kingdom's sake. And if those kids come over here to church and their parents, praise the Lord, wonderful. If they go somewhere else, praise the Lord, wonderful. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's about the kingdom of God. So, but certainly, we've been praying 
for 12 elementary school children to be in our Sunday school class. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you're answering our prayer <laughs> through the back door. We would have never thought of it that way, but here you're opening a way for us to, to be able to. And, and then have numbers for Vacation Bible School and a contact with people that we can reach for Christ. And ultimately, that is what it is all about. So CEF has asked, and this was the initial contact, if during the Bible club time, you know, in the morning at the child care, in the afternoon at the Glen Oak, and if in between, instead of driving back to town, if they could just hang out over here. I say we're all open to the kingdom's business, and yes, I, we just need to know the details. So the details would be, would be quite normal and natural. Uh, we'll tell them, you know, not, not to make a mess and so on and so forth, and, and, and now we're good to go. I saw a hand go up someplace. Yes. No, the, starting on the 4th, I'm sorry. The 4th of June, so that is the next week, right? Am I correct? Okay. Yeah, so the next week, and it is the 4th through the 8th. Please let me know, because then I need to get the word out to, his name is uh, Marcus Haas from CEF, that who is going to help with the training, and therefore who's going to help with the Bible club in, in both places. So you have a, a busy week, but hey, the, king, the kingdom of God is busy sometimes. You should live my life. <laughs> yes. I'm quite sure of that, not 100%, but uh, I don't know of anybody that doesn't like to have volunteers. And a few more eyes to watch the kids. And uh-huh. I'll check with him. I'll check with him. Okay? So, now, we're still working through the, or working is maybe the, the wrong word, we're still teaching through the idea of the church and what the church is, and therefore what the church is not. If it is one thing, then it's not another. Um, so we have gone through, I'm hearing voices. I, I think I hear people talking. It's distracting, whoever it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, it's not distracting. <laughs> Um, I really liked the thought, and I wrote it down right away. Was it 1866 that the United States changed from R to S? 65, 66, okay. I would just as soon have it right hand. Because that is, that is such a, a concept of a oneness. Uh, instead of R, now we're S. And it's not that good English, but it sure um, portrays the concept of the idea that we, we together is the body of Christ. Uh, or you could say we together are and is, slash is the body of Christ. Because there's one body of Christ and we're all part of it. So, um, the church. We have talked about uh, the idea that the church Growing together in love. That's the big title of what we have talked about. And we are, after today, we will have gone through ten points of that and addressed some, some, some ideas, scriptural ideas, of what the church is to the clarification 
of what I consider the wrong idea of so many Christian folks. So, uh, the first one, I gave you a definition. Then we went through the points, the, the, the important words of the definition and talked about them. Secondly, we said that the church is a spiritual house, and we base that primarily on 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, not uh, entirely. Uh, the third point was that the church to gather God's dwelling place, uh, that God uh, uh, wants us as the body of Christ, that this is where he says, I want to live. This is my residence. And fourthly, we said the church, and we talked about unity and oneness. And we talked about unity and diversity, sort of based on Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And that's not the only place where that is is asked. Um, And then the fifth one is the church, her working and mission, out of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. uh, Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting or equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That is the working and then ultimately the mission of the church is to fall in love with, with, with herself. Um, and, and we'll talk about that in closing today. The church, sixthly, the church a sweet-smelling savor. That when we love one another, that God breathes in and he says, Oh, that smells so good. And so that when a husband loves his wife like that, that God breathes in and says, Oh, that smells so good. So that every time when you love somebody like Christ has loved us, God says, ah. So you can imagine a church full of people that love each other. And many times a day we have uh, interactions and we love one another. God goes, woo, a strong, sweet-smelling savor. Not just a weak one. Just a couple of people loving one another. Um, And then the church, a place of healing and growth. And we showed you the rescuing hug of two twins, preemies, that one, uh, girls, that one was healthy, the other one was sickly, had fever, uh, changed color to blue instead of pink, uh, had an irregular heartbeat, and cried all the time. And when... The nurse sort of uh, 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 tried to manipulate a little bit and tried to convince the doctors that in Europe sometimes they put the two in the one in one incubator. Ultimately, she did, and as soon as they put him in the incubator, the, the healthy one put her arm around the, the the sickly one, and within days the heart the heartbeat was corrected, the fever was gone, the color was back, and she stopped crying. That's huge. And then my question to you was, whom are you going to hug today so that they might be healed? So that their crying might stop. So that their fever might be gone. And of course, we talk about all this in the spiritual realm, but we're giving uh, natural or physical examples to make spiritual points. Yes, that is what Jesus did with his uh, stories, parables. A natural story with supernatural meaning. So, it is, it is the same thing here. So, and then, eighthly, we talked about the church, a living body. And that is important to know because often the church does not represent a living body. Though she is and is supposed to be, yet, when you look at her, 
I don't think so. Uh, so then we, we brought in the idea of, you know, uh, Romans 12, 4 and 5, just as each, mem- as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And we, we emphasize the idea that it is my belief that God is more interested in the one body than he is in the many members. Because many members don't necessarily form a live body. They might form a, a tub of KFC chicken, but they are dead members. And there is no relationship with dead members. And there is no pain with dead members. So that when in a live chicken, when you take out one of those legs and sever it, that chicken will go crazy from pain. And everybody can see there's something wrong with that chicken. We talked about it last week. A six-year-old can tell there's something wrong. But when it's dead and you have a tub of chicken members, wings, legs, and so on and so forth, you take one, there's hardly, there's no pain. And you hardly notice that anything is gone. A tub of dead members. So, when, you know, and last week we had, we had uh, uh, two dedications. One was Sophia, that is uh, Maritza and Ruben's daughter. And so, uh, Ruben's uh, parents, Frank and Cindy, who were members over here, and then Ruben and Maritza, who were members over here, whom we miss still like crazy, though they are gone for quite a bit of time. Uh, and when they left, we had pain. I still have pain that they're gone. It's not a pain like, oh, they did a, they did a bad thing. It's a pain because we, were, had, we had relationship. And when you have relationship and someone is gone, it hurts, doesn't it? I know it hurts. My mom told me that all the time. Because when I left my home in Suriname and later my parents moved to the Netherlands, I was across the ocean in the United States. Every Sunday when I talked to her, I miss you so much. Well, because there's a relationship. That's a living church. If, if when someone is severed from the body and there is no pain, it's because it's dead. And you had nothing going in the first place. Anyways, that was last week's sermon. I don't know why I get so excited about these things. And today we're going to talk about the church, a family. And tenthly, the church growing in love, which is the ultimate goal. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. So, um, the church, a family. Uh, let us look at Ephesians 3.15, just to illustrate to you that we are a family. The scriptures speak that we are a family. And we look also at Ephesians 2.19 and give you the idea, sort of, of a family. Ephesians 3.15 says, from whom it is really, if you read it in most translations, from whom refers back to Jesus Christ. But some people say, no, it refers back to the Father. Either way, it's, it's no problem. 
from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. From whom? So, somebody says, the family in heaven and in earth, and they, they come to the idea that, well, you're talking about Christians, yes? Yes, we're talking about Christians. Well, is not everybody a child of God? Well, it depends how you look at it. Yes, everybody is a child of God when you consider the Father as Creator. He created all people, so in that sense, all people are children. But not, and that is because of their first birth. If they don't have a second birth, then they are not children of God as God being their Father. Here we're talking about God being the Father. Okay? So it speaks about the ones that are in the family are the ones that have undergone the second birth. Those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those who are the church. Are you with me? So, and you see clearly here then, he speaks of us as a family. We are a family. So, uh, I... I wondered, okay, well, let's talk about the family a little bit. Let's look at another scripture first before we, we're talking and bring in some of these family elements. So, uh, Ephesians 2.19 says, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. It speaks here about the coming together of the Jews and the Gentiles, the, the, the middle partition of, of, oh, it has been done away with, and the two have become one. But saying that we are of the household of God has a, a, a sense of family to it? No? Am I just imagining that? It doesn't say the word family, but if you're of the same household, is it possible that you are family? Yes? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I just want to s- see that I don't misrepresent the Scriptures. So, but even, okay, if you say, well, that's a stretch, okay, you win the argument. But, <laughs> but, but with, the, with the, the first verse that I gave you, there is no argument. It talks about a family. So, um, family talk. Let's do some family talk. It is a little bit difficult to receive, and I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, if you have an open mind and open heart, you won't have feelings hurt, even if you're guilty of some of the things that I'm talking about. Uh, I just want, uh, and I have not often felt comfortable teaching this, but if we're going to talk about family, let's talk about family. And family talk is not always comfortable. No? Not always. Um, I had to tell my brother one time, my youngest brother, what you're doing is not right. But I couldn't put my finger on it. And my father was a stickler for morality. He was not a Christian best I know. I saw him even a month before he passed away, and I tried to share the gospel with, with him, but he didn't want anything to do with it. But when he was still alive, and or we were both in college-ish, my brother and I, and I, I couldn't put my finger on what was wrong with this thing that he was doing. And ultimately, I just said, well, let me ask you this. Do you think our dad would do such a thing? Poop, made a point just like that. He realized my dad wouldn't do it, so therefore, 
he realized that it, it, it was wrong. So, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy to approach my brother, say, you're doing something wrong. Uh, for the fear of that maybe he would be offended or something like that. He was not, but yeah, family talk sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you're afraid to approach your family with certain things. Sometimes when we have family talk, we are a little bit uh, uh, hesitant sometimes to even share the gospel with them. You have tried a few times, and you've been rejected, and you tried a few more times, and you've been rejected. Well, I'm going to make a slower approach this time. You know, family talk. So, anyways. So, one of the things in a family is this. And when I grew up in our family, in my home country of Suriname, the lunch is the big meal. So here is the dinner. The evening meal is the big meal, yes? Uh, and at home, uh, uh, people have a siesta. They go, to, they go home about noon or 12.30 or so. They go home, take a siesta. Then they go back to work, many of them. And so, so things are closed between noon and 2 o'clock. You go home, take a siesta, then you go back to work. And maybe in, in Belize, no? Same thing? Yeah, okay. So see, in some places, it makes total sense because why do you work a whole day and wear yourself plum out, why not a half a day, get a little bit of, little bit of rest, and another half a day? <laughs> You're not so worn out. Anyways, neither here nor there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hey, you see what I'm saying? We have some enthusiasts over here about, for that idea. So, <laughs> we may have to propose that sometime. But the big meal was the lunch. And so you were expected, right, that you were at home, at the big meal to eat together as a family. Yes? Did you, did you grow up sort of like that? Okay, except yours, yours was in the evening. Uh, and if I was not going to make it for lunch, I better call my mom or a brother or a sister to let them know, tell mom I'm, I'm not going to make it. And she was cool with that. I didn't even have to, to give too much of a reason, unless I do too often, then I better come up with a reason, <laughs> you know. But t- tell mom, you know, I'm, I'm going to have lunch with a friend, and, and I won't make it for lunch. And that was right, and that was proper. Um, but in the church, when people have their big meal together, which for us is 1045 on... on uh, on Sunday morning. Now, there's other meals that you have. Call them smaller meals because that's not the family time. That is part of the family meets for Sunday school and so on and so forth. But the big meal is together at 1045. Um, Then, in the church that I know, I'm not talking about Walden Road only, but the church that I know out there, rarely, when somebody is not going to make it for the main meal, Rarely let, they let anybody know. And I find that when in my family, which was a secular family, and, and, and then you have a spiritual family, and things are done better in the natural family than the spiritual family. Don't get your feelings hurt. Um, that's why I don't teach this stuff uh, very often, because people might get their feelings hurt. It's not about feelings hurt. It's about... Family. We are family. 
And certain things happen in the family. And if you don't let anybody know, no problemo. That's what we're used to, but I'm just teaching. Uh, furthermore, so that's point number one. Point number two is this, that in many places, people, um, as, is, as is usual, as was also true in our home, that some children liked this kind of food better, and other children like that kind of food better, and the other kind of food better, right? So then what happens is that when my mom makes brown beans and rice, which I loved, and somebody liked hot dogs and some liked hamburgers, my mom doesn't make brown beans and rice and hot dogs and hamburgers every time, Right? Is it, see, thank you, Jeannie. Yeah. Stamp here on my side. I know it. Yeah, I've come a little closer to you over here. Get some support. Get some support. And so she, so, and then the children that didn't like brown beans and rice so much, if, she, if that's what she made, and they liked hot dogs and hamburgers, then they couldn't be upset about it. Because they would have to deal with my dad. If they were upset about it. Hey, let me tell you something, my friend. Uh, if you want to go to some of the, the countries in India, see what they have to eat. And here, yeah, brown beans with rice, so I don't want to hear any complaint, my father would say. And he was right. So we didn't complain. <laughs> because if you had to deal with your mom, that was one thing. But if you had to deal with your dad, that's a whole different deal. So... Uh, no complaints. Everybody ate for and we, we enjoyed the time together. And furthermore, my mom didn't make brown beans and rice at 1 o'clock. And then uh, hot dogs at 2 o'clock for those who like the hot dogs. And then uh, hamburgers at 3 o'clock for those who like the hamburgers. None of that. But in the church... This is what we do. Somebody likes traditional music. So we have a service for traditional music. Somebody likes contemporary music. So we have a church for contemporary music. Somebody likes the purple color. We have a purple service. Somebody likes the green color. And we have a green service. And so what we have done, my dad never wanted to raise Spoiled bread children. But in the church often, we have raised spoiled bread Christians because if they just throw a fit, they get what they want. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so, once again, don't get your feelings. It's like, it's like we go to Schlitterbahn in New Braunfels. This is some years back, right? This is the, just the example that came to my mind. Schlitterbahn. Dad takes off work. Mom slaves over some things to get ready. We drive into Slitterbahn about three hours or so. Woo! We go and we make more slides and we give the kids more candy and stuff that they want. And you'd swear they'd be happy till it's time to leave. Oh, could I have one more? 
No, 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 no. You've had plenty of sugar. We're going to drive back home for three hours. I don't want anybody else on sugar. Okay. Uh, you've had enough. And, oh, all of a sudden, the, their whole day was spoiled. No. Have you had a good day? No. <laughs> oh, but you had this and this. No, but I wanted one more. <laughs> spoiled bread Christians is what we're raising. If somebody just throws a fit, they get what they want. But we don't want to do that, brothers and sisters. We, we want people in the church. Okay, let me back out of this. <laughs> and say first. And say first. If a child acts like that, that's one thing. But can you imagine, we say, we're going home and Sybil says, Oh, I want one more. One more whatever. I say, no, honey, we've had enough. Oh, I want one more. <laughs> that would never happen. Never. Never. With capital letters. Never. Uh, but children do that. So when a child in the faith, when a Christian young believer acts like that, that's one thing. When somebody has been a believer for 15 or 20 or 30 years, that's a whole different chapter. Because that is childish. Childish. So, am I hurting your feelings enough? Okay, okay. I, I don't mean to. So, so then we have a church that has now, so we, we talk, I go back to my example of, you know, people wanting traditional music or temp, contemporary music. Then we have now a church divided in contemporary music service and a traditional service. Are you with me? A contemporary and a, a traditional. Now, who likes the contemporary music? The older folks or the younger folks? Who likes it more? Younger, younger folks. Who likes the traditional? The old. So now you have the church divided into an older group pretty much and a younger group that meets at a different time. But the Bible teaches us that the older should teach the younger. But they never see each other. Certainly not over the, under the most important time of the, of, the, of the church life, the worship. Coming together before the Father. So I understand that if the church is big enough, that too many people that you have to divide up, I understand that very clearly. That just like in a household, when there's a lot of people coming for dinner, you might have to set up another table and bring a few more chairs and so on and so forth. But to divide the church along the lines of the contemporary and traditional doesn't make sense to me. It might be satisfying to the people, but it's not the best thing to the, for the people. In the Christian teaching, you learn about sacrifice, not about gimme, 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 and get it. Especially when you're growing in the Lord and you're maturing in the Lord, it is more about sacrifice than it is about getting. It is more about giving than it is about getting. Especially sacrificial giving. So everybody gives in a little bit. And this is why I love this church so much. Because you see, the youth now, when they lead worship, they are excellent. They are better than us. 
and there's no comparison or whatever. I'm just saying that because I can say it. Because if I had to say that we were better than them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it. But I can say that they are better than us. And nobody's offended. Uh, but at one point, they were just plain beginners. But this church didn't mind that they were beginners. Because they realized that our youth, our young people, they need to become worshipers. So they were gracious, and even though they were beginners. And they improved, and they improved, and they improved, and now they're leading worship, and they're very, very, very good. And I'm just speaking about musically. Okay, they are still young, so some of them still need to learn to lead and worship maybe a little bit more, and, and, and so on and so forth. And that is a learning process, it's a journey upon which we all are. Okay, let me look at my notes so I can. <laughs> I, uh, maybe I won't hurt your feelings. So, okay, this, this idea over here. Uh, in the church, we know that we have babes, we have young ones, we have teenagers in the faith, and then we have adults in the faith. Is that a fair statement? Yeah? Somebody who's been a Christian for two weeks, they are a babe in, the, in Christ. Yes? The, the scriptures talk about babes in Christ. Yes? First uh, 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 Corinthians, the third chapter. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. They talk about babes in Christ. Babes in Christ, they cannot handle meat. They'll choke on meat. Babes in Christ, they cry a lot. They make a lot of noise. Okay? In the spiritual realm, in the spiritual realm, it's there's, there's not much different. I told you the story about uh, two young brothers. They were young believers. And... Excuse me, maybe they were going from the, the young ones to maybe the teenage stage in the faith. That's a very dangerous state, uh, 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 spiritually as well as physically. Uh, uh, teenagers basically think they know it all. Clear proof that they don't know it. Okay. I mean, everybody, that, everybody or anybody thinks that they know it all, clear proof. They don't know it. Uh, so... Uh, then this, because they were fairly young believers, even in the service, they would talk up all the time. They had a thought to share or a scripture to share. And in the middle of the service, they blurted out. And one time, this sister had enough of it. I won't call the name. Let's call him Johnny. Johnny and Frank, shut up and sit down. This is supposed to be somebody who was a little bit older in the faith. In the natural, you wouldn't do such a thing, let alone in the spiritual. So, at the appropriate time, I instructed the church, hey, this is not what you do with ones that are a little bit immature in the faith. Just like in the natural, you just go talk to them, and you teach the children when to talk and when not. Yes? When there's people, people talking, and the little children come, and they just talk, 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 blah, blah, blah. Hey, shh, they're, they're talking. Just say, excuse me, and then maybe you can talk. So teach, teach them. And I told the church then, this was not this church, this was another church. Uh, I told the church then, I said, hey, when we have young believers, we have to encourage them and not discourage them. Let's teach them instead of just jumping on them. They get discouraged in their faith. They think they have some, so we have to teach them, hey, listen, 
you're not the only one that has something to share. If everybody that has a thought or a scripture, an exciting scripture that, that speaks up, this will be, uh, 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 how you call it? Chaotic, chaotic. Uh, so, teaching. So, but what I have noticed is in the church, not this church, but we are also prone to the things that people do in churches. Thankfully, maybe to a lesser extent or, or so. Um, but what you see in churches many times is that somebody who is a babe in Christ makes some noise, doesn't act right or, or proper or whatever. Maybe they have grown up and they're now like, you know, like a six or seven year old, whatever, in the natural, but the, I'm talking about the spiritual. Then, um, then what we do in the church is sometimes we shush them out. We reprimand them. We get on their case. And sometimes we'd rather see them go than come. But in the natural family, this was not the case. When I grew up, my younger brother and my younger sisters, as the older brother, I took care of them. Maybe I told you last week, or maybe told another group, uh, I, I talked to different groups often, and I, I, I told them that my mom would say, Kenny, take care of your brothers and sisters. Uh, 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 your brother, he needs to do some homework. Would you <clears throat> take him to the room and teach him <clears throat> and show him? And I would tell my brother, come, 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 come to the room with me. And I was a big brother, so he would come to the room with me. And I, I explained to him how to do the problems. And he did the problems right over there in my room. I was there to help him. My mom made sure that the bigger, the older kids help the younger kids. Does that happen in your family? Yeah, okay, there we go. That, that's, that, that's how it works. We don't, we don't kick that little child out of the house. We don't lambast that little child. We don't get on their case and rip them. Uh, in the church, we're prone to be on the case of the younger ones that maybe are not as mature and then con- continuously try to correct them and, and, and to teach them and correct them and teach them and correct them instead of just, hey, how about loving them for a little bit? Teach them and correct them, but love them. Because if you're not loving them, they're not going to receive what you have to say very readily. Are you with me? Are you from the, now, let me ask you this. Is any of this making sense to you? Okay, okay. Um, so, from where I'm looking as a pastor, I feel that the church in general needs to be tenfold more patient with the younger ones than the church is. Tenfold more patient with the younger ones than she is. And then, <clears throat> when, when, when people grow up in a healthy place, they become healthy adults. Is that a fair statement? I should, let me put it a little bit different way. When people grow up in a healthy place, 
the chances for them to grow up as a healthy adult are greater than when they're not. Is that a fair statement? Okay. So, um, one more thing on the family, I think. And, and uh, when I was, Sybil and I, my wife and I, we went to see our daughter in uh, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she was reading a book about teenagers and how to deal with teenagers. And the author of the book, who was a rebellious, to say the least, teenager in deep trouble, he wrote the book partly of some experience that he had and partly of the research that he has, that he has be, gotten familiar with. Now, truly, this is... You, if you would read it, you might think it's a secular book, but I think that the guy is a Christian who wanted to be sort of in disguise a little bit so that non-Christians would also read these principles about dealing with teenagers. You follow what I'm saying? Is that, is that, is that uh, sometimes happens? Sometimes people don't come. They don't, say, they don't talk about God because they don't want to come across too heavy at first. They talk, you know, that, that's how the Christian, Christian women's clubs operated. I've spoken to Christian women's clubs all over the place. And so it was a meeting of women, and then they had uh, some lunch or dinner, but it was mostly lunches. Sometimes they had dinners. And then they would have a speaker that would be a secular speaker that would um, tell maybe about traveling and how to pack your bag when you're traveling, roll it up and put it in this corner and blah, 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 instead of laying it all flat, then you have less room and so on and so forth. So and she'd give some helpful hints like that. And then somebody would sing a song that may be a secular song. And then they shift to the spiritual. Somebody sings a song, and this is a spiritual song. And then when I spoke, you know, then you give a Christian testimony to the people. You didn't slam them with the Bible, boom, when they walk in, because the idea was, to bring, the Christian women would bring in non-Christians to come and hear the gospel. So the idea was, and I don't know if it's the right idea or not, but anyways, this is the way it worked. So the author of this book uh, about teenagers, this is what I surmised, and I didn't read the whole book, but the parts that I read, this is what, 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 what jumped out to me. That he says that every teenager, for them to become healthy adults needs to have at least one stable adult in their lives. Whether it's a parent or a coach or a teacher or a Bible teacher or Sunday school teacher or whoever. One person that is stable in their lives, that loves them, that they know that cares for them, that they know that will stay with them no matter their behavior, that they will be stable and uh, 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 reliable and they counted on, and so on and so forth. And I thought to myself, ah, eh, eh. That's how we say it in my country. Eh, eh. <laughs> Light. Eh, eh. This is also true in the, in the spiritual realm. In the church. In the church, we think that when somebody, a teenager comes to Christ, oh, they're good to go. Oh, absolutely not. They need somebody in their lives in the spiritual family who they can rely on, who they can count on, who will be there for them, regardless, regardless. 
Because if they're new Christians, are they going to still sin plenty? They sin plenty. So don't shush them away. You stay with them and be right, so that they might become healthy adults in the faith. Is Now, does that make a little bit of sense, even though I'm telling you, he may or may not be a, have been a Christian author. But it makes sense to me. Because that is how I see in the scriptures, Jesus saying, hey, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Therefore, go and teach and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. So this is baptism. This means that this conversion, this means that people have come into the kingdom. And teach them to observe everything that I've told you. Observing means doing. So now you're discipling them. You're teaching them to do the things of the Lord. And that's how they grow. But they need somebody in their lives that, can be, that is steady there for them. At least one person. Two or three or four or five. It's wonderful. That is how I have sort of felt, oh my gosh, teaching tennis. I, I, I actually thought I was going to whip through this thing, just no problem, and I'll, I'll be able to do the next point as well. Uh, but I will do the next point next week or, or whatever. Review a little bit and then the, 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 the tenth point. Um, when I taught tennis, I didn't, I was a Christian uh, after a period, uh, but I didn't know what I was doing. But I loved the young people. I loved to teach the kids and to teach them a little bit of where I came from. I didn't even, though sometimes I use the name of Jesus and people have gotten saved on the tennis court. Uh, but sometimes people said to me, Kenny, I don't have my son here for you to teach him tennis. Though I want you to teach him tennis. I want your influence on him. And they paid me for the hour that I taught the kid. And just they wanted some influence. They wanted somebody in their lives besides the parents that would influence them. I have taught other guys that were really good players. Good players. And they would say to me, Kenny, you were a good coach. But I want you to know, tennis is the least thing you taught me. I'm a Christian now. My wife is a Christian. My children are Christians. So, as those who are a little bit older in the faith, not older age-wise, but a little bit older in the faith, that you would care for one who is younger in the faith. Don't just overlook him. You know, angel is gone. But angel, I tell her, I'm going to give you a hug every Sunday. I want a brother who is a real brother to give a real sister a hug. In the previous church, there was a lady, a single, single lady, very shy. Every Sunday, every Sunday, she would come to me because she wanted her hug. A hug. A hug. So, brothers and sisters, the idea of the rescuing hug. Peter, are you upstairs? 
Can, is there any way you can put that rescuing hug on? Then we close with that. Because some people haven't seen it. See, the rescuing hug. This is the sickly one. This is, you can see that this one has more weight and this one is a little skinnier. And this one is the healthy one. And, but they were preemies both, so there's, there, there was still a ways to go for both of them, yes? And she puts her arm around. A hug! We're being taught by babies about the church. And it is a hug. She didn't do a Bible study with the other baby. And, and, and a hug. And within days, a few days, I want to say a couple of days, the sickly one was, had lost the fever. Fever was gone. Heartbeat was regular. Uh, you can look it up. Google it. The rescuing hug or just rescuing hug. It pops up just like that. You can read about it. These girls are now 23 years old. Healthy as can be, wonderful. And so I'm thinking, it is just a hug, brothers and sisters. It is not always that you have to spend a couple of hours with somebody. It is just my brother. How are you doing? I love brother Jimmy. Uh, A text. Hey, I was just praying for you. Don't say if you, I was praying for you when you were not, okay? But uh, <laughs> o- only if you were. I was just praying for you. Hey, how, how, how is your knee? Hey, how is your, your heart? How is your surgery? How, how is your dad's fever or whatever? Just this morning we got a call from somebody that their father had a stroke. So they went to the hospital. She went to the hospital with him. The husband is out of town. The husband whose father had a stroke. So, for prayer. So, I'm praying. So, anyways. Do you you get where I'm going or where I'm coming from? Does it make sense? Because sometimes we think that ministry is hours and hours. Sometimes it is. You know, you sit in a plane to Ghana. Just from Atlanta to Accra is nine hours. And when I fly over there... I can sleep. When I fly back, I can't sleep. I don't know why. <laughs> Same plane. Um, and then, of course, then you have jet lag and, and, and all these type of things. So, but it is not always a couple of hours or many hours. Sometimes it's just a few seconds. Just a few seconds. Tell somebody, I appreciate you. Smile. Yeah. A hug. A handshake, a text, a call, a card, you, you, you name it. Sometimes it's just a little bit. And yet, that little bit made a huge difference there and will make a huge difference here. The church, a family. Let us stand.